Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Welcome back from uh, the land of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I am barely alive. I was up until like four in the morning playing that stupid game, and now I'm done. <laughs> you can go read my review on the official website. Yes, and now you all know uh, the, t- the tone for this upcoming podcast. <laughs> oh Spoiler. my gosh, Nadia. My soul has left my body. <laughs> my soul is leaving my mortal body. Well, we're going to be reviewing Final Fantasy VII Remake and talking about all of the things, not just uh, the things that are kind of bugging me. I promise to be mostly rational. Uh, you can go read my <laughs> review. It's not nearly as like downtrodden as I sound right now. If only if I sound downtrodden right now, it's also because I'm a little loopy from staying up until like four in the morning and only getting a couple mm-hmm. hours of sleep. So, But yeah, the time has come, Nadia. And I promise that... There will be no spoilers. We will not spoil anything. Just know that, I, I mean, we'll talk about it in broad strokes, but uh, you should be safe. And if you don't want to know anything, well, maybe wait until you've played it before you listen to this podcast. So yes. uh, beyond that, we'll go through some of the news and yada, yada, yada. But uh, first things first, Axel Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. I'm on Twitter at the underscore Kayapot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And you should subscribe to our newsletter. Nadia, what's the newsletter about this week? Uh, well, this week, actually, um, speaking of Final Fantasy VII Remake, it came out early in uh, Australia, but also in parts of the UK. I think Heron got it as well. And so I was just talking a little bit about, like, how do you deal with spoilers? Do you just kind of dive right into them? Do you do everything you can to lock yourself down against them? Uh, I tend to dive into them. Uh, I have zero patience. It's funny. Like, I feel like it's very rare that I feel like a spoiler really does spoil my experience when I play a game. Because to me, it's not just a matter of, oh, my God, there's that big story twist. It's also kind of the emotion that comes with the moment that I feel. And that obviously can't really be spoiled. That's something I feel for myself, no matter what anyone tells me. Uh, it, It happens in the scene. I try to avoid spoilers because I think sometimes the surprise can be really edifying. Yeah, there are times, by all means, where I say, oh, I kind of wish I had waited for that. Maybe not as often as you'd think, but it does happen. Uh, but I have zero impulse control, so that's my problem. <laughs> there are moments where I will hear a spoiler, but without any context. And then when I actually get the context, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. And also, that's a lot yeah. better than I thought. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that's kind of satisfying when that happens, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I mean, I was spoiled on Game of Thrones because I was I was watching it from the very beginning, right? And in season one, uh, the I was on a message board thread that did not discriminate between book readers and show watchers, and so I thought I was safe because I had caught up to the latest episode, and then I highlighted <laughs> a spoiler, and boom. <laughs> It wasn't even flagged as a book spoiler, and I found out the biggest spoiler of season one, and I was so mad, because that would have been so shocking. Which one was it? I mean, I'm not going to say it here. There might nah. be somebody who still wants to watch this show for some reason. Yeah, that won't be me. Statute of Limitations is not up. <laughs> yeah, good point, but uh, I, I, I'll have to look that up later, because I just, uh, whatever I know about Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire, I just kind of absorb through wiki and like st- angry Twitter rants and, and gifs of dragons. I don't even watch movie trailers, though. Really? Yeah. I try to avoid them because I don't want to see any scenes. I don't want to know what the movie is about. 
I'm happiest when I go in having literally no clue what's about to happen and just being completely surprised. Uh, I think a good case in point was uh, Kill Bill back in 2003. Ah. I did not know the premise at all and came out going, wow, what a movie. I had so much fun, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I do agree. That's actually a really good way sometimes to discover something. Like I've done that with several like anime where I've gone in. Like I think Wolf Children was one that I figured, oh, this is going to be like, you know, a happy, fun, silly anime about silly things, and it was really, really heartbreaking. So I had no idea from the tone of the, because I'd never seen the trailer. So that was a really nice surprise. I mean, Final Fantasy VII remake. If you watch the trailer, you're pretty much going to be spoiled and stuff. Yeah, that trailer they released today at the time of this recording was just like spoiler town. And I, they kind of showed a lot of iconic moments from Final Fantasy VII that I was just like, oh, I guess I would have liked to see that in the game, like you know, just Rufus hanging off a helicopter and what have you. There is one really good scene, one really great surprise that I cannot believe they spoiled. Yeah, um, I don't know what it is, but I can like probably just live without knowing until I play the game myself. Because when I played the game, and I'm sure we'll get into this, it was such a great moment. I laughed so much. Oh, it was so wonderful. I was like, oh, what a great surprise. I love it. Uh, this is like a high point of the game. And then in the launch trailer, they freaking spoil it. Come on. <laughs> Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, and I agree. That was like, come on, guys, that could have been a lot of fun, and they spoiled it. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. So the lesson is never watch trailers, but do listen to our review podcasts. <laughs> Please do. We we are very careful sometimes. Or we try. Yeah. We try. <laughs> All right, Nadia, let's move on to the headlines for this week really quickly. First one. Elder Scrolls Online returns to Skyrim this week. It's in early access. You can go read the post right now. Um, I have literally no interest in Elder Scrolls Online. I honestly thought ESO was back. In, it was already in Skyrim. Like, no, no, that's right. They went to the Khajiit thing, and Mike lost his mind because he saw, like, you know, the regular Khajiit bipedal cat people, and then he saw, like, little four-legged Khajiit who were, who were sentient and everything, but they were, you know, they were house cats. And then they were the, the big Khajiit that were also sentient, but you could ride on them. And he was just losing his mind. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> so it's like the Pluto uh, goofy problem? Exactly. Except this was if, like, Pluto had sentient and could talk. Like, it was exactly like that. Oh, weird. Okay. So it was very, it Pluto sounded very a pet, weird. but Pluto can also converse with Goofy. Yes. And he can also wear very cute clothes. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was um, one actually one moment I actually loved from the trailer for that particular um, expansion, not the one coming up, but the previous one. I forget the name of it. There's a scene where a dragon just kind of lands in front of the party, and you know it's this huge thing and it roars, and the the Khajiit just kind of like this black cat hisses back, and that is just such cat energy right there, just a cat hissing at a dragon. Elder Scrolls Online. I played it and. It just doesn't quite feel right, like so many MMORPGs. And when I tried it, I was like, Ugh, this feels all wrong. I don't care that it's going back to Skyrim or Khajiit Land or whatever. I, Khajiit Land. I'm going to wait for Elder Scrolls Six in the year 2035. 2035 is right if we're lucky. Yeah. Um I would like to play ESO. I have a friend who who's like huge into ESO and she wants to play it, but it's like I already put all my MMO energies into Final Fantasy 14. That's all I can manage. I'm sorry, world. Yeah, I would say pick one MMO and stick to it because Yeah, and it's like I like the Tamriel um 
uh, you know, lore and stuff like that. But I'm really crazy for the Final Fantasy lore, so that just makes more sense for me to get into that. Item number two, Near Replicant is getting a remaster. I I know that there are a lot of people who absolutely adore Near. I think that's really neat. I don't really care. <laughs> you didn't? Did you not like um, Near Automata? Yeah, but Near Replicant is not Near Automata. It's like a okay. very different story. I mean, a cool story. It's an interesting story. It lacks kind of the combat of uh, Platinum, so it mm. definitely feels different. I, I think that's what kind of helped elevate Near Automata just enough was that it had a little bit of the polish of Platinum, and I, maybe the remaster will help a lot. But I'm not entirely sure that Near, the original Near, holds up very well. What system was it for again originally? Uh, it was on 360, yeah, on PS3. Mm. Yeah, I and never played it. It had an intersexed individual, which was an interesting point of discussion for a while. And unfortunately, uh, people were using terms. And <laughs> it uh, wasn't a great yeah. conversation, but it was a conversation. Um, and it was just part of the lore. It wasn't even really talked about in the game. <laughs> oh, so it was like just a conversation. It was a thing that was there. This yeah, happened it was like, this oh, yes, this time. person is intersexed. Okay. Interesting. Sure. Things for, this doesn't really figure into the plot at all. They're just like, yep, they're intersexed. <laughs> well, why not? And also, there was a fishing mini game, which apparently made Justin McElroy just lose his mind to the point where he <laughs> just could not finish the game. He was just like, <laughs> screw this game! Uh, I can actually relate to that, being someone who is very, very into fishing games and JRPGs. But everybody will tell you that the end of Near Replicant slash Gestalt is what you want, because it... If you play it again after getting the ending, it really like changes things, and a lot mm. of people praised it for that reason. Ah, good old Yoko Taro. And one last interesting note: uh, the Japanese version of Nier is very different from the American version. The Japanese version features a kind of a younger boy, and whereas the American version features a man, an adult man. Really? So they like redid the model and everything like that? Yes, totally different. That was a thing they really did back then. Like, they would just bump up the masculinity on a lot of, like, kind of effeminate characters. I don't think they would do that now, necessarily, because... No, I don't think they would do that now. I think that there's a much broader acceptance of general anime boy tropes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, you still get some complaints, but generally, like, people are into the bishies, and that's cool. I support bishies. Okay, final note. Speaking of bishies, Trails of Cold Steel 4 <laughs> in North America this fall... It will be the final entry in the Trails of Cold Steel series and roughly the midpoint of the full Trails arc that mm -hmm. uh, NIS has been working on. Nadia, how is this making you feel? Well, let us not forget, this is also part of the Legend of Heroes arc, which has been going on since 1980-something. So uh, even though I feel like it will be saying goodbye to some good friends, I know that they will probably revisit in subsequent Trails games down the line. Uh, because actually Trails of Cold Steel 3 had um, significant cameos, in fact, playable cameos, from the uh, uh, Trails in the Sky characters. So I can see Reen coming back again. I'm still, uh, uh, you know, it's still a little bit sad. Uh, I know that I remember 3 ended on a massive cliffhanger. Like, it's, it's going to be a very interesting tale. Uh, I'm actually quite surprised it's coming out so soon. Um, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but where the hell is Ease 9? <laughs> I, I mean, I think a lot of games are going to get delayed. 
Yeah, yeah. These are the times we live in. Yeah, I mean, Mike wrote a story basically, like after Last of Us 2 was delayed, basically going, yeah, buckle up, folks. This is going to be a lot more delays where this came from. Yeah, buckle up, Homestuck. Yeah. So on that rather grim note, um, news, uh, if you want more RPG news, can I suggest that you subscribe to our newsletter, which includes all of the major RPG headlines of the week, in addition to Nadia's rather nice RPG essay. You can find a link to it in starting screen or on the general site that you can go sign up on. Okay, let's continue on, Nadia, to the Final Fantasy VII remake review discussion. The moment has come. (laughs) Don't go away. (laughs) The, The Cat Bailey Salt Hour. All right, I'm here with Jake Green, our guides editor, who has been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I found Jake's perspective really interesting because Jake, uh, I think he said that it came out when you were three years old and you didn't really play the original, or at least you don't have the same perspective on it that I do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was yeah, I was three when it came out and it was one of the games my, my dad had on the PlayStation 1. And I remember picking it up when I was seven or eight. I think I probably played three or four hours, but I wasn't super into that kind of game at the time. Um, so I don't really have any sort of affinity for the original. I know it's an important game. and I know it's supposed to be, you know, one of the best games of, of all time. So I kind of came into this one pretty fresh, I'd say. All right. So we're just going to talk through the review really quickly. Uh, you can go find my review over on the site. I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I guess I was slightly lower on it than a lot of people, but also my feelings on it were kind of all over the place for a variety of reasons. And Jake is the one who kind of has fresh eyes. This is the discussion that's going to have no spoilers in it, so don't worry about it. We'll have a fuller, kind of more spoiler-filled discussion next week. All right. So, Jake, uh, when I was talking to you, you seemed pretty, I want to say, frustrated through most of your playtime of it. I, I would say so. I mean, when we spoke, you know, the lion's share of when we spoke, I was I was pretty early in the game. I was probably up to about the midpoint. Um, and for me, there's there's one section in particular I really, really liked, and that spans for about six or seven hours. But everything around it, you know, there would be these hour or two at a time where I'd be really enjoying what I was doing and then kind of end up being frustrated with everything else um, that was kind of offered to me. But I think overall, yeah, I found I found quite a lot of it to be quite a frustrating experience. Yeah, I think actually my experience mirrored a lot of yours. Uh, I don't think this is a game that's really great for crunching through in a review. I think you're so, it's definitely a game you want to take at your own pace because when you're just marathoning it, you start to really see the seams, especially in the dungeons, which, if I'm being honest, kind of go on forever. <laughs> I'd agree. I mean... There was there was a dungeon in particular towards the end that I, I sat there and thought to myself, I really, really wish I was playing this a couple of hours at a time because you, you start to kind of see the seams really and you're asked to go back through a lot of areas. And especially if you've just done lo- those areas in the same day or, you know, a few hours prior, it does start to kind of wear on you a little bit. So if you're not familiar with Final Fantasy VII, uh, this game takes place in the 
original, like the first part of the original game. So it's not the full game. It's set into multiple parts, despite what the title suggests. And in a lot of respects, it's very faithful to the original, though it does have some pretty big changes in some parts. Um, And I suppose that as somebody who was a fan of the original, I feel like I can kind of see the bits where they were really trying to stretch it out as much as possible because the original Final Fantasy VII, this particular section of the game was only maybe about five to ten hours. And so they're really at pains to make this thing a full-blown 32-hour package. And I especially saw it in the dungeons. And I think the thing that kind of hurts the dungeons a little bit, they do their best, but it has a tick from blockbuster games that I kind of really hate which is the switch pulling traversal puzzle, which it's not hard. It's just time wasting. Yeah. It it seems like a lot of it is just kind of drawn out and it's, it's that classic, like you say, the the blockbuster thing. And I I think specifically the PlayStation blockbuster thing, um, there's a lot of, you know, walking slowly going through shimmied cracks in the, in the walls. There's, you know, moving things so you can get up onto them, you know, that, that kind of thing, lots of switches. And yeah, that definitely reminded me of that. So, I, you were like we've talked a little bit about like what you were down about like what what were, what did you like? I I mean I think it's probably the best looking game I've ever played. Um, that isn't consistent across the whole game to me, but there are some scenes in this game that legitimately are like the 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 coolest, the prettiest things I've ever seen in a video game. The music is incredible. I mean, I'm not that familiar with Final Fantasy VII, so. I'm hearing a lot of this music for the first time. I obviously know like the main theme and stuff, but I was surprised by just how many of the tracks and, and there's like 30 something tracks that actually stuck with me. And I find myself sort of humming them while I'm playing. Um, and then also the characters, like I, I genuinely loved spending time with, I'd say pretty much all of the main cast. They are really well fleshed out. They each have their own, you know, personalities and, and arcs and, I, I I actually surprisingly warmed to Cloud as well, who I I did not enjoy for the first couple of hours. But then I sort of, when I realized where he was actually coming from, um, I started to actually quite like him as well. I speaking as somebody who was playing, uh, coming from my particular perspective, I think Tifa and Aerith were my favorites, and I especially liked their relationship. Uh, I liked that they immediately became friends. And seem to develop this extremely warm rapport. And uh, there are at least a couple of moments where they can, they really get a chance to team up independent of Cloud. And I think that was much needed. Yeah. They, like you say, they're, they're basically team up moments and they're pretty, they are pretty awesome. Like I actually really, really enjoyed them together. Um, whereas, you know, my experience with it, of what I've heard, was that it was very much, you know, they're sort of put at odds with each other. But here, I think, yeah, it was very, very cool to see the way they were sort of bouncing off each other. I always kind of felt like they were a little one-dimensional in the original game. Uh, Aerith was, you know, kind of the hero girl who was uh, self-sacrificing and trying to save the planet. And then Tifa was the, I mean, the cool, badass chick who has a lot of history with Cloud, the childhood friend. But at the same time, uh, she... Uh, kind of exists to drive his plot forward and obviously Final Fantasy 7 
plays with those conventions a lot, but I think a lot can be added. And this is kind of why I wanted a remake in the first place, just by not having featureless Cupid doll people who can emote with one another. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think the character models in particular are, I mean, they're, they're pretty amazing. And I, I kind of immediately sort of fell in love with all of them, really, especially like uh, Tifa and Aerith. But, you know, there are sections where you're playing with Tifa, uh, with uh, Aerith and you genuinely kind of feel for her for the entire story. It's, it's, it's quite nice. Yeah, and then, but at the same time with the graphics, I agree with you. It can be really gorgeous, like amazing. I found myself kind of grabbing some screenshots at times where I'm just like, wow, especially when you're with Tifa and Aerith, or sorry, when you're just with Aerith at one point and you're kind of skipping through Midgar, whenever it goes outside and it opens up a lot, you're like, wow, okay, like what a stunning looking game. I love these character designs, etc. But again, like you can really see the seams at various points. I think this again is very much the case in the dungeon, which comprises a large proportion of the game, which tends towards a lot of featureless corridors and uh, like very in kind of industrial designs, sewers, that kind of thing. And that, some of that is from the original source material, but. At the same time, they're really boring to look at. They are, and I think it's it's for me it's it's kind of there are two main vibes and aesthetics in the game. There's the green, uh, sort of black, dark green areas of the factories of the underground areas, um, but then there are these kind of like golden, you know, massive outside spaces that really shine because of that contrast, but. Generally, yeah, the the stuff like the sewers and, you know, how many corridors in a factory can you go down before it gets a little bit tedious? And that's just kind of the, I, I guess it goes part and parcel with it being this extremely industrial design, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's set in Midgar and your enemy is a, a power company. <laughs> yeah. I almost didn't want to kind of ding it for that because, you know, I remember playing, you know, the reactor sections and thinking oh these are very similar i'm like well they would be you know they they you know they would be built to a sort of specification and i think that's kind of the point but also i think it is to the game's detriment that it does make certain environments feel a little bit samey yeah but i guess it's is to the game's detriment that they maybe these environments extend way beyond that they really the point where they really needed to um if you have an area that like there's only so much you can do with and you're kind of conscious of that i would expect that maybe you would kind of lean away from that and lean more into the bits that are genuinely beautiful yeah and i think a lot of it it's it's sort of like a beginning and end thing where i think there's a lot of interesting stuff right in the middle of the game um but the beginning and the end the environments are extremely similar so what did you think of the combat i i warmed to it definitely i remember playing the demo um, when that came out, I think it was last month, and I did not like the combat at all. I thought it was a weird mix of turn base and action that didn't really work for me. But playing it in the game itself, I definitely warmed to it and quite enjoyed a lot of the more complicated boss battles. Um, I think when you start adding party members, it can get a little bit chaotic, but I think you always feel in control. And when you know what you're doing and it's all flowing, it, it does feel really good. Yeah, I... 
I I think anybody who's listened to this podcast will know that I had super mixed feelings about the combat from the very start. But I playing it, I'm really impressed with the execution in general. Um, I really enjoy the, it feels, it hits really hard. And the thing that is impressive is that it could have felt really messy, but it kind of manages to always just, it, you always kind of feel at least a little bit in control. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think it just takes a little while to click because it is kind of deceptively quite complicated. You know, it from the start, you're kind of taught these simple systems, but it's when you start to realize that, you know, you have to exploit weaknesses, you have to use the stagger gauge to take things down. But um, I don't know if you, did you like play around with materia that much or did you have like some that you kind of stuck to? Um, I was mostly leaning really heavily on the elemental attacks like fire and thunder and ice, um, which I felt were very strong. I yeah. did not experiment as much with like poison and that kind of thing. I, re- I felt like there was some materia that was extremely useful, like the auto cure materia, uh, which is a new one. Which will, which is a really good addition. I feel uh, that can kind of uh, that allows a character to automatically heal, heal you, <laughs> which yeah. is great in a very fast-paced battle. Um, and also the chakra materia, which I mean is like practically, I think, mandatory in removing yeah. poison because you'll get a lot of status effects. Yeah, that's kind of why I asked because I I also didn't use the whole suite of the combat system. I kind of found myself relying on you know, four or five different spells. But, you know, I felt like some of it was in there just because it's from Final Fantasy. Um, but, you know, I might go back and experiment a little bit more with the combat system, see how deep it does actually go. And the thing that, the, the thing that's interesting about this game is that you rarely have a full party, it feels like. You spend so much time either with just Cloud or with only two characters Um and it mixes and matches them in various ways. And the, the characters definitely feel different in light of having unique abilities, which is something new from Final Fantasy VII and definitely expands the combat system. And also having their limit breaks and then they're having their individual skills and everything. Um, but when it was only two characters, it could feel maybe like a tiny bit limited at times. What did you think of that? Yeah, I think it was surprising for me because I've played other of other Final Fantasy games, uh, not a lot of them, but I felt I had a lot more choice in other games. This one seemed to lock you in a lot into like, okay, here are the characters you're going to have now. You know, sometimes you'll have two, sometimes you'll have three, sometimes you'll have four. And I found it quite difficult to kind of plan around that because I would, you know, set up my party in a certain way and then all of a sudden I'm playing with just two. Um, I found it to be quite limiting at times. Yeah, especially toward the end when my materia setups got actually fairly complicated mm-hmm. um, and I didn't have all of my materia to spread around to everybody and it kept mixing and matching, shifting people in and out. And it's funny because on the one hand I was having a hard time stretching my materia out but at the on the other the the pool of characters also felt really limited. It again, this is just a a function of 
the approach that Square Enix decided to take with this particular game in limiting it to that one section. But there are, I guess there are points where Final Fantasy VII Remake feels a little small. <laughs> it's, it's, it does. It feels small, but it also feels a little inflated um, mm-hmm. and, you know, padded out. But I think the the characters and only having access to certain ones, for me, it kind of has my main problem with it, which is that the game is just painfully linear. Um you often don't feel like you have time to explore and, and do things that I would associate with an RPG mostly. Um, it's a lot of running down corridors. It's linear structure for the most part. I So they definitely expand on certain areas. Um, so the way it usually works is you'll be you'll go through a big dungeon and there will be story sequences and then it'll drop you into... Uh, one of the kind of hub areas in the game. Um, I'll just use Sector 7, uh, which is a very early area as an example. And then when you're in one of those areas, uh, you're kind of free to explore a little bit um, and talk to people. And you get kind of very basic side quests. Um, And I thought it was kind of a real missed opportunity because... I would have really loved to have seen multi-part side quests kind of a la The Witcher that have an actual story to tell um, and could have been a really great excuse to do some high-quality world building, but they're just fetch quests. And I would have loved for them to have scaled back uh, the kind of interminable dungeons at least a little bit. and made the main story maybe only 15 hours, but made the side quests, like, just really blown out the optional side quests. Yeah, I, I think The Witcher 3 is an interesting one to bring up because that's kind of the landmark for a lot of people in that it kind of showed that you didn't have to just fill your game with side quests that were, you know, just there to fill things out. Um, they had interesting stories and kind of built the world out. And I feel like since then we've had a lot of RPGs that have kind of taken that approach, but... Going back to this, well, going to this one, it feels like a step back. It, it feels like classic kind of side mission fodder. There's a lot of fetch quests. There's a lot of uh, just go here and kill these enemies and come back. And I kind of just, I really wanted to learn more about the world. And I feel like the side missions would have been a really great way to do that. But there are, there are 24 side missions or something. And I, I, can, I can remember maybe four of them as being, you know, memorable, cool experiences. Yeah, um, I mean, they do add a fair amount of side content, I suppose. Like, there's a coliseum. Um, you can, let's see, you can go on, I guess, a lot of those side quests I was just describing. Uh, I mean, there's stuff to collect. Uh, what else was there to do? There, There's the VR missions. Uh, yes, the optional boss battles are pretty sweet. They're pretty awesome, but, uh, you know, there's only... Is that it? Is that seriously it? Wow. Well, I, I believe if you... I, this is the thing I'm confused about, because if you pre-order the game or get a special edition, you get access to more summons and stuff. So I'm wondering if they are unlocked in the VR missions or if you're just given them. But VR missions, I mean, I'm pretty sure I came across three in total. Um, oh. I wonder if I there's more. Yeah, I haven't done all of the uh, the Intel stuff, which does unlock them, so maybe there's more, but... I felt like I could have done with more of that, but um, yeah, I think in terms of side missions, that's I say you collect like music discs as well. But I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm kind of curious whether if you 100% this game, it will give you a super secret ending because 
uh, I think that that that's very much in keeping with Kingdom Hearts, which is uh, another Tetsuya Nomura joint. And I, I got to be honest, like without spoiling too much, uh, this the, the the some of the directions that this game takes are very Kingdom Hearts esque. I feel. Did you ever play Kingdom Hearts much? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because so I played Kingdom Hearts three, uh, having not played any any of them and. I enjoyed it, but the story was not a high point for me at all. Um, the actual particular method of storytelling and the writing just didn't work. And getting towards the end of, of Final Fantasy VII Remake, I was definitely getting vibes of Kingdom Hearts. Um, and yeah, not not in a good way. Yeah, I think the thing that annoys me about Kingdom Hearts is that it just keeps layering on complexity for the sake of complexity. It, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really fit into the themes of the game i i get what they were trying to do and i'm just like okay cute i suppose but it doesn't feel faithful to the source material to me and i was like okay i initially i was really unhappy and now i'm just kind of like shaking my head and rolling with it but uh i don't know uh very kingdom heartsy i i don't like the execution is what i'm saying yeah, I mean, I guess if if it you know if it made you roll your eyes and you're someone that's quite attached to the source material, and it it basically just served to sort of confuse me, who is like, <laughs> I'm not really sure who it's serving. I I suppose it's likely the writers, because um, it it does get very complicated and it is just like, oh, we're introducing this now, very late. That's cool, and then it just kind of keeps layering and layering, and it's interesting to you know to say to say the least, but. I'm not entirely sure it it felt right for what the game had been up to that point. I applaud Square for, and I, I, I talk about this in my review, I applaud Square for taking risks. I applaud Square for being really bold with this multi-million dollar blockbuster franchise. Maybe their biggest possible brand, they're like really going for it. Good for them. I I applaud that. Good. Uh, I appreciate that. But it also kind of throws into question like what are we what were we all ever expecting from this remake? And I I see people who are going, "Oh, well, you know, I didn't want a straightforward retelling." And it's like, "Yeah, but I didn't want a beat for beat." I, I feel like that's a, a little bit of a straw man argument. I didn't want a beat for beat like straight up uh shop for shot retelling of the original game. What I really wanted I guess, was something like one of my favorite shows is uh, an anime called Yamato 2199. Um, And the original anime was really jingoistic. Um, It was kind of a straightforward, like it was very 1970s. It was dated in a lot of ways, but it was a stone cold classic in Japanese anime, hugely influential. And Yamato 2199 took the bones of that storyline. It took the outline of it. And it told a much expanded, like often very smart and interesting story that really inverted the kind of jingoistic themes of the original and was actually introspective in a way that I really enjoyed. And I think that that's what a a great remake can really do, is having a really strong and fundamental understanding of the source material. And I was kind of hoping Final Fantasy VII Remake would do that. And there are points that it definitely does. Like what it does with Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse, who I think are just are terrific in this game. They're so wonderful. I love them. Yeah. Um, 
that, that that was the kind of stuff that was not in the original game. And you're like, great, it's building on the source material. What they're doing with Tifa and Aerith, great, that's what you're doing. But I think that then they, then it gets all Kingdom Heartsy, and then we start to lose the thread a little bit, and then it's like, oh, okay, so you're going in a different direction. That's fine, whatever. But I don't know. I um, I I think that anybody who's like going, oh well. <laughs> What did you expect them to just retell this story that we told played twenty three years ago? I, I don't think that was necessarily the choice. You, can, you want to be able to revisit these games or remake these games from a modern perspective with like all the resources that we have now, being able to kind of take time with it, learn some things from the original, but keeping yeah what it what it had had there. And for me, I was I was actually quite quite excited about this game just because I haven't played the original, and you know at this point I'm kind of hesitant to go back to a PS one. JRPG is just, you know, it's it's something that I'm likely not going to have the time for. So I was hoping to experience Final Fantasy VII, but you know, in a more modern, digestible way. And from what it sounds like, you know, I I did not experience that game, um, and I will have to basically play the original if I want to get it. Yeah, the original. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose you kind of have to because. I mean, again, without going into spoilers, so much of Final Fantasy VII remake is faithful to the original and in fact has a lot of nods and callbacks uh, i really enjoyed the wall market and it has a squats mini game from the original game <laughs> and the squats mini game is just like oh i mean it's perfect and i i i love that the re-envisioning of it beautiful right and then it goes completely in its own direction speaking of which what did you think of the wall market that is, uh, I mean, I mentioned earlier that there's a section that I just, I loved and the wall market is, is that section, like every part of the wall market, like quest line, the, the side missions that open up the kind of optional stuff, like you say, the, the squad missions. Um, it's just, it's like the game kind of having fun while the game kind of, it doesn't take itself that seriously, but wall market, especially kind of felt like a, almost like a little Yakuza hub world. Like there was such just interesting stuff to do, like genuinely great side characters get introduced there and there's like some set pieces that i was not expecting them to go there and they're just they're just really fun i think that speaking as somebody who played the original they <laughs> the so i i think i've said it before on this podcast that when i would i would always get to the wall market and kind of bounce because i would get bored um because it was kind of a slow section a lot of the momentum from the opening areas, the intro had kind of dissipated at this point. The music is actually really annoying in the original. And I was always kind of squicked out by the approach that they were taking with uh, Don Corneo and the Honey Bee Inn and everything. And it seems like the developers are extremely aware of what they're dealing with, where they can't really avoid it because it's so embedded in Final Fantasy VII's lore. But at the same time, like they are aware of like the areas that they need to step carefully around mm -hmm. and they go for it in a way that I'm just like, oh, what a delight. I mean, there's a whole freaking dancing mini game <laughs> with Cloud that's just unbelievable. It's amazing. Like I just had this huge smile on my face playing that. And like you say, there are some things in the original that kind of you do have to step carefully around. I think the honeybee stuff in particular, they just they nailed it and. There's a sentiment that's left when you when you leave that area that is very sweet and encouraging, um, in a way that 
I think says that yeah, they they understand what they're doing. Um, the Corneo stuff is is handled less carefully, I would say, than than the other stuff. But you know, I, I'm not sure what it's like in the original. But so, well, I would say that he. Uh, it's very clear that he is the villain, and he is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> yes. So there's never any point where you're like, wow, what a badass. Like he is a freaking worm and you're, there's never a point where you're on his side. And I think that it gives Tifa and Aerith a fair amount of power and agency in that particular section. So I, I don't know, like I thought Wall Market like really worked. So I, I really enjoyed that bit. Oh, and it has my favorite boss battle in the entire freaking game like seriously it is such a good boss battle ah uh, like a great lore pull a great multi-part boss battle it keeps changing in different ways it's actually fairly challenging you can't just uh fight your way through it um i'm not going to spoil it you should find out for yourself what it's all about but oh it's so good it's yeah, so good I know which one you're talking about and yeah it is it is all those things <laughs> The boss battles in general are pretty strong in this game, I would say. Yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty good. They're pretty varied. There's there's a couple that overstay their welcome, um, or they you know they appear twice or something, which is fine. But yeah, there's some really interesting boss battles where it actually kind of makes you stop and think about the the combat system and plan. And I found myself like getting into a boss battle and being like, oh, I see, like, I need like this materia or these sets of skills. So I would actually kind of quit out and then basically get my load out to a point where I'd need it to be and then go back in. Um, and that, that level of strategy, I think, just really elevates the combat. I'm curious what you think of the one-on-one duel kind of bosses, because uh, there was one in particular that I like actually had to turn it down to easy because I was struggling with it quite a bit. I, I think that they're quite clearly not the best uh, representations of what the combat can be. I, I see them as almost like Metal Gear bosses, um, they're very much there for like they're basically cutscenes um, that they wanted to play out, but you know the one the one v one stuff I, I think is more challenging. But they're usually with characters that are just completely ridiculous, and it's they're kind of a joy to play. But also, yeah, they don't really fit the combat system. I don't think. Yeah, I think that it's a kind of it, it does what I generally like to see in a game like this, which is. When you're fighting regular enemies, they're not trivial, but you can get through them pretty fast for the most part. And they're not as repetitive as they could be. And you do a little need a little bit of strategy. But when you're playing against a boss, it goes to another level. And that is also when you like get summons, and summons is when they just <laughs> oh my god, the summons in this game are freaking beautiful. Um and you have to really dig deep at times. Like some bosses are actually quite difficult, I would say. And there is a hard mode in this game, which is, uh, you know, for all you people who want to show off on YouTube. And while your abilities are very strong in many ways, like especially once you start getting Kuraga and Faraga and all of that, uh, the bosses can really mess you up. And it can be hard to keep up at times if you don't have a good materia set up and you're not kind of taking your time. If you're just rushing in, there's a good chance you're just going to get beaten down. And that's what I like to see out of a good battle system. Yeah, I, I found myself like a few of the battles I really got through on the skin of my teeth. Like I maybe one more second in the battle, I'd have completely lost it. But 
it kind of evolves from early on you can kind of hack and slash and play around with stuff but there are some boss battles where you like you better know what you're doing otherwise it will take out your whole party very very quickly um and you i I like that as well i think the the boss battles are definitely where the, the combat shines yeah and there are times where it's just like and the thing that i really like is that it doesn't feel like they're overstaying their welcome like there are times when you're just like okay get over it yes this boss battle is boring in other games but i especially other rpgs and some of the boss battles are quite long and quite involved but i can't really think of a time where i'm like oh screw this boss this boss is bs it's totally cheap like most of them are like really enjoyable i would say i think yeah definitely i i can't think of a single one that i felt like oh this is dragging itself out i think because they're all they're all pretty different um especially the the character designs and stuff they are all very creatively designed and you you rarely fight two bosses that are in any way similar so they usually take different methods to take down as well yeah and they really lean into the source material in the way that to design them. And you can tell that they put a lot of thought into their, how they would translate into a modern game. Mm -hmm. And ah, it's fun. But like I said, like getting back to one of like the crux of one of my main problems with this game was uh, the boss battles are great. There's quite a few highs. Um, I generally really enjoyed the story, but there are point, there are points in this game where I was just, so bored i would describe some of them as monotonous it's clearly the game is trying to stop you from kind of plowing through it too quickly it's trying to stretch stuff out so there are some sections where it's just throwing like rat rat enemies at you for a good hour and a half and then you know so that you can get to the next bit and then you feel like you've played more but yeah to me it it definitely felt tedious at times yeah so if you want to know like how i got to my score with from like based on kind of what I was discussing I was kind of sitting at about a four um, through most of the game and mostly due to the padding issues and mostly due to the fact that I wasn't altogether down with the side quests and then uh, I felt like the execution on the the newer bits the the some some very significant new bits really kind of knocked it down another another half a thing. Some for some people it's going to make the game and they're going to be like this is brilliant. This is game of the year stuff for me. That's not the case for me. I I don't think. And I've spent a lot of time like trying to just sit back and go, okay, what are my expectations for this game? As speaking as somebody who is so invested in Final Fantasy VII, who was playing it when it came out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what do I want? And, like, in a lot of ways, like, I'm down to go with the developer's vision, and it's going in some interesting places. Cool. I guess I'm ready to roll for Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. I'm at least interested to see what comes next. Uh, I, thought the, I thought the actual ending was interesting. It... it uh, we'll be talking about it in a lot more depth at a certain point. Uh, but uh, the way those new elements are executed is where I'm most at odds with it and is very modern square in a way that I don't like. <laughs> and I guess for me, Kingdom Hearts is the avatar of new square. So that's where I'm going to draw that comparison. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Jake, you're not extremely invested in Final Fantasy Seven. That's why like, I just found it really interesting that we are seemingly so aligned on this game. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know it's it's supposed to be one of the best ones. I've only played four, I played four, five, six, ten, and fifteen. Um, and yeah, it, it is odd that we've kind of arrived at the same place because, especially like during the first few hours, we were kind of. I felt like I was a little bit more down on it, but um, there are going to be a lot of people like me that haven't played Final Fantasy VII, and there's going to be a lot of people that have never played a Final Fantasy game because this game is just being marketed in a, in a way that you know it's it's in the era of PlayStation exclusives. Like people are going to buy this game based on that fact, and I think it will be interesting to see yeah what what both sides will will come to it really. In a way, I almost wish I hadn't reviewed it because I. Ah uh, man, this is not a game to marathon through because, like I, as as I said at the beginning, I really feel like the the really monotonous padding and that kind of thing will really start to get you to you after at a certain point. It's a game that you really need to take your time with. Maybe like when you get to a one of the benches where you can sit down and recover your HP, kind of stop and like take a breath, go for a walk, that kind of thing. But of course, I know plenty of people will blitz through it and probably have have probably already finished it because it's already out on shelves in many places. And I, I know that Hiran, I think, was able to buy one in a shop. Yeah, he, he, just, he just got one, got one delivered. Pretty remarkable. But, and... <laughs> It's it's getting really excellent reviews, um, and in a way that like really heartens me because I hope that gives Square the impetus to give Part Two a, a good budget, and then they can really go for it. Um, Jake, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two is pretty interesting because in the original game, this is where it opens up a lot, and this is where you go into kind of more of an open world. And I'm genuinely curious to see if they're going to stick with the very linear kind of perspective of part one, or if they're going to try and actually do that justice. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on how I would like that to go, because I've, I was kind of down on the linearity of it. I found it kind of monotonous. But then also when the game opened up, I wasn't particularly thrilled with the side content. So I, you know, if they are going to go more open, I think they do need to put some more thought into having these side activities kind of mean more all right jake any final thoughts on final fantasy 7 remake i'm i'm glad that people are enjoying it for sure like it, it's such a beloved game that people deserve a, a good remake you know i am personally i'm not really sure how to feel about it i because i was hoping i could play this and be like oh i get final fantasy 7 now i get why everyone loves it but i feel like i I need to now play the original and uh, actually experience it because this game does a lot differently and maybe is not the version for me to play. If you do play the original, I'd say get it on PC and load it up with mods because mm-hmm. that is probably the most digestible and most enjoyable way to play it. In a lot of respects, the original game really is pretty dated. And I can, there are some things that I genuinely love about it. And I one thing that I think was missing from this game compared to the original was I kind of thought the original had a better atmosphere. There are times where it's more withdrawn, it's more somber, that kind of thing. Whereas this one is like rush, rush, like really fast, like really fast paced. Um, certain sequences, uh, especially the train graveyard, which I was train graveyard really just exemplifies a lot of what I don't like about this game, which is tossing in elements that I found pretty rote, pretty monotonous. Um, and it sucks away so much of the beauty, the haunting beauty of the original. 
uh, game. But uh, that's that's for another discussion for another time. But I I think that if you want the quote unquote most modern experience, you can get uh, modded up on PC and go for it because uh, there it, it's pretty dated in some ways, but in other ways, I think there's much to recommend it. Okay. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Jake. I really enjoyed having your perspective and having somebody to bounce off. Uh, and I'm kind of glad to have somebody to validate my feelings because, ooh, as I said in my headline, it was exhilarating, tedious, shocking. Like my feelings on this game were seriously all over the place. I I was Krusty the Clown with a cigarette going, what the hell was that? I just, <laughs> I uh, full disclosure, I actually recorded a, another segment originally with Nadia when I was on like three hours of sleep and it was just me being practically catatonic going, what? I don't understand. God, I don't even know. And I, it was so like incoherent and like borderline hysterical that I had to just take a step back and completely record this (laughs) segment with you when I had a much clearer head. So thanks for bearing with me, Jake. That's okay. I'm, I'm glad you have settled or, you know, allowed to have a little bit of peace with it now um because yeah I, you know knowing how much has gone into like reviewing this as well particularly for you like it seemed like it was a, a pretty tricky project to take on to say the least and by the way you should go check out everybody should go check out your guides um you do an amazing job on guides and are there any in particular that you're planning that you might want to highlight yeah i mean we're going to be doing some for final fantasy 7 remake for sure um We'll probably end up doing like, especially the the music tracks and things like that, because the music is fantastic in this game, and you'll want to find all of those as soon as you can. So, we'll have some stuff up going later on this week. Um, we're going to try and cover it pretty pretty uh, comprehensively, so you'll be able to find that on the guide section of the site for sure. All right, Jake, thanks so much, and we're heading on to the mailbag. All right, those are our thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm sure that you have thoughts, even though the game's not out. Um, <laughs> when you do have, a, when you do get a chance to play the game. By the way, did I mention that the game's coming out the day after my birthday? Yay! Oh, happy birthday, cat! This is the most 2020 freaking present ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it was like a 2020 present, it would like. As soon as you picked it up, it would have like grown spikes and jumped to your eyeballs. Then it would have been 2020. Wow, Nadia. End of an era. Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's going to be out in a couple days. And yep. then it's net, that's no more Final Fantasy VII Remake after that. <laughs> Ever. It's all done. Everyone go home. And we can all move on with our lives. We talked about Advent Children last week. We had Ben Hansen on the show. It was a lot of fun uh, revisiting all of those shows. And uh, we have some comments from people who uh, also wanted to talk about Advent Children and whatnot, Nadia. I bet. Uh, so Monkey Tamer says, I think Advent Children was great if you took it for the fan service it was. It was superb CGI for 2005, had plenty of action, and wasn't the dumpster fire spirits within one. <laughs> Square milked the Final Fantasy VII cow pretty hard, but we could have wound up with a lot more schlock. We got some decent games and animation out of it instead of assets being reused to crank out new content. Crisis Core was a great PSP game, and Dirge of Cerberus was good enough for me to at least finish despite its flaws. Wow. Yeah, you're dedicated. Dirge of Cerberus, Stan. Interesting. Does anyone else remember how the secret ending of Dirge of Cerberus Genesis just shows up and drags away the antagonist, saying they have much work to do? 
That was some real wild nonsense. <laughs> Although Dirge of Cerberus <laughs> is just filled with great, with edgy design choices, like all of those viets. Anyway, I really enjoyed the episode. It was a nice switch up to hear people talking about a story they really love that has a bunch of bad parts. I think we should be safe from most of the compilation working their way into the remake since they take place after the main plot, except the only pro- probably good part of it. Here's my fingers crossed for a weird secret boss fight with G underneath the planet, because why not just ever add every bit of lore we possibly can? Hmm, yeah, they certainly do that, don't they? <laughs> yes. Drachmalia says, Great discussion and all the weird compilation of FF7 stuff. Advent Children was such a misstep that I'm surprised it even got made. Oh, man, I know all about missteps with Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> The way you guys talked about the Crisis Core makes me really want to check it out. But I wish Square would update it somehow and release it on modern systems. I guess one could always play it on an emulator, but I don't like doing it if there's a legit way to play. Come on, Square. Also, MinMax rules and Blood God devotees should check them out. Yeah, I totally agree. MinMax is Ben Hansen's show. You should go check out their Patreon. It's pretty cool. All right, Nadia, there you have it. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Woo! It's yeah, done. Yeah. If anything, I think the letters we just got kind of throws into a sharp relief just what kind of response this game is going to get i think like some people saying oh well i really liked final fantasy advent children for the fan service it was just kind of goofy fun and then like no this movie should never have been made so it looks like for one thing square has not exited its compilation of final fantasy phase where they just got to throw everything on the poor franchise and and hope it all sticks even though it's all kind of looks like a, a ship full of barnacles by this point so, yeah, we're going to hear a lot of differing opinions by the sounds of it. I am I am excited for the discourse. Okay, Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. And you should subscribe to me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. You can yell at me for my Final Fantasy VII takes. <laughs> oh, no, they will. At, at Naughty Oxford. And you should subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. And, of course, this podcast comes out every single Monday. And I suppose at some point we're going to have some people on to have more of a spoiler-filled discussion and also potentially a more positive outlook on the changes that come to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, um, so. I am very curious and excited to do a, an, a spoiler cast the way we just did with Final Fantasy, sorry, with the Persona 5. Yeah, that would be fun. Hopefully we don't do it three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll be all right. We can do it just in time for Final Fantasy VII Remake 2, i.e. never. Do you don't think about you think that Square will just kind of like sweep it under the rug and it'll never happen? I have no idea anymore. That's fair. I think at the end of the day, all we can say is nobody knows what the hell Square Enix is thinking. And we never I don't will. think anybody has any idea what's happening in the world in general. Like, That's a good just, point. Will we have a world in time for Final Fantasy VII Remake? I don't, I don't know. That's true. I guess we should make sure we have a civilization left first. Yes, and on that note, we'll be back next week as always. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay indoors. Stay indoors.